bags, but we'll get there in a moment. All right? Revelation chapter 2, and begin reading in verse number 1. Revelation chapter 2, and begin reading in verse number 1. Quickly, while you're turning, we'll remember we've seen the introduction of the book of Revelation. Um, we've seen who it's wrote by, why it's written, several things we've seen in chapter 1. We've seen this vision of Christ. We've seen uh, a lot already. Already we've seen quite a bit. Now chapter 2 starts something completely different. We go from this vision of Christ um, to John being instructed to write seven letters, seven epistles if you would, to seven churches in Asia. And uh, we'll see that in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, just a list of letters, a list of short letters really, uh, to seven different churches. And tonight we'll start with the first. In verse number 1 we'll begin with a letter to the church at Ephesus. And uh, we'll say a little bit more about that after we read. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. The Bible says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now we know of course that's talking about Christ. Seen that already in the vision in chapter 1. I think I've mentioned previously, if not I'll mention it tonight. Each one of these letters begin with a picture of Christ, something about him. Each one's different. Each letter, each church that he addresses it uh, as a different thing. Here in the book in Ephesus, he says, The one that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. It also ends uh, with him saying, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says from the churches. And then he tells us something different in each letter uh, that he promises to us. We'll look at those as we go through. We'll not get that far tonight. I just want to make mention of it while it's on my mind. Verse 2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I had somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent through the first words, or else I come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. We say something about that. Remember the seven candlesticks picture of the seven churches. He tells them here, if they don't repent and return, do the first works again, he'll remove their candlestick. That's not talking about losing your salvation. Uh, he's talking about unless you do that, he'll remove the candlestick. Remember, he's in the midst. It's talking about your fellowship. It's, he's in the midst. He's equally with all of them. He's saying, Kirk, if they keep losing their first love, they keep doing these things. He'll remove as fellowship is not relationship, but fellowship is concerned. He'll remove them from out of their place. We'll talk about that later as well. I'll just mention a few things we go through. Verse 6, but this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath dear, let him hear what the Spirit says in the church to him that overcometh, will I give thee the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I sure do love you tonight. I'm thankful for the privilege and the honor to be back in your house. Help us now as we study your word together meet every need. Lord, I pray to illuminate our hearts to the truth of your word. Help us to give us clarity of mind, clarity of speech. Lord, I pray you meet every need once again. We'll be careful tonight give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name and for his sake. Amen and amen. All right. Uh, we we'll begin this look at these seven churches. We come, of course, the first of the church in Ephesus. Um, now, I'm interested, of course, in looking at what he has to say to him in the book of Revelation. I know we're preaching through the book of Revelation, but 
uh, the church of Ephesus is unique in some ways because we have a uh, treasure trove of information about Ephesus. We have far more insight to Ephesus in some ways than any of the other churches. So I think we'd be amiss tonight not to dig into it and learn as much as we can uh, about what was going on at Ephesus. So we'll, we'll look at some of that tonight. Um, look at some background concerning the city and the church here at Ephesus. Now we do know this. We know right off the bat that Paul spent three years there. We know Paul wrote an epistle to the Ephesian church. We have the book of Ephesians. It's written to the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. And we know that Paul spent three years there. Acts 20, 31, Paul speaking to them, getting ready to depart, said, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul lets us know he spent three years in Ephesus. Now if we're going to study this church of Ephesus and understand what Christ is saying in Revelation 2, I think it'd do us well if Paul spent that much time there. I'd say there's probably some gleanings we can glean from it that'll help us understand here in chapter 2. We'll probably not do this with all of them, uh, but it just seemed like, I, seemed like the Lord led this way. So the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some background information at the church of Ephesus. I believe it'll be interesting to you. It'll be a little bit different than prophecy. In fact, it'll give us just a little bit of a break from all the symbolism and all these things that are coming up, and uh, we'll just dig into this church. I, I hope it'll be interesting to you uh, over the next several weeks, okay? Turn them, if you would, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter number 19. I hope you got to read it some this evening. Uh, that way you'll have an understanding. I'll deal with the entire chapter by the time we get done, uh, but I'll not be able to deal with it all tonight. No way uh, to do it with any detail. Uh, but I'd like to, if the Lord will help us, I'd like to maybe get through the first seven verses tonight. And uh, we'll give you a little bit of an outline of the chapter as we go along. And uh, if that's something you're interested in, I, I've kind of, for myself, got an outline similar to what I did with the book of, Re with the book of Revelation. But just for this chapter, if you're interested in that, if you let me know, I can get you that as well. Okay? Uh, but let's look at chapter 19. Chapter 20, Paul's leaving the church of Ephesus. He's leaving the city. He tells he's been there for three years. Chapter 19 gives us some detail as to what happened during those uh, three years. Okay, now this chapter will be broken into two parts. Uh, the first half of the chapter deals with Paul's preaching while at Ephesus. The entire first half of John tells us who he preached to, where he preached, how he preached, why he preached. The entire first half of the chapter deals with Paul's preaching. The second half of the chapter deals with some problems that arose in Ephesus, and uh, we'll get there much, much later, but that's where we really, we'll see some things tonight, give some insight into the into the culture and into what's happening, uh, but really when we start seeing the problems that arise, where well, we really get the insight into what was going on, but we'll, we'll get there as we go through. Let's look tonight, let's start looking at the preaching at Ephesus, okay, and uh, if, you, if you want to take notes, I don't know if you are or not, but just if you want to. We're going to look at the preaching at Ephesus and the problems at Ephesus, and I'm going to have several sub-points underneath each of those, okay? Um, let's look at the preaching that happened at Ephesus. Look with me in verse number 1. In fact, the preaching takes place in the first half of the chapter, verse 1 through verse 20, deals with Paul preaching at Ephesus. The Bible said in verse 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came into Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said to him, We have not so much as heard. 
word whether there be any holy ghost. Isn't that something? He said to them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. Then they said, Paul, John, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that he is on Christ Jesus. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So we find Paul's first preaching engagement, if you would, as he enters into Ephesus. The Bible said it came to pass while the Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So we see him preaching, first of all, in the streets. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? The way it appears, John, what's happened is Paul's decided that he's, going, he's passing through the upper coast of Asia. He decides he's going to go into Ephesus. And when he gets there, in the streets, it appears, just walking through the city, he comes to these disciples. The Bible says in verse 7, there were 12, about 12 of them that Paul has encountered. So he begins his whole preaching ministry in Ephesus by preaching simply in the streets. He's preaching to those that he encounters. So we see him preaching in the streets. Let's notice a few things uh, about this encounter, this uh, engagement, if you would. Verse number one, Bible said, came to pass it while Paulus was at Corinth. Paul had to pass through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples. That's interesting to me. The first people he comes in contact with is not is they're not lost people. All right, Bible said he came across disciples. Where disciples means a follower. In fact, verse two, the Bible said uh, he said to them, "Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed?" That signifies they've already believed on Christ. They're already disciples. The first people he preaches to is not a lost man, uh, but apparently it's these 12 saved men here in Ephesus. Notice they're already disciples or followers of the Lord, but we'll find quickly they were not very grounded in the faith. So I want to say this. The first thing we see about Ephesus is even those that are saved are not very grounded. Right? <laughs> Even the few that are saved in Ephesus. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but can I say this? Find out later in the chapter. In the city of Ephesus was the temple of Diana. Oh, we'll have to spend a whole night probably on that. That'll be interesting. But the temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They worshiped Diana. They worshiped these false gods. That was the religious atmosphere. Uh, in Ephesus, we'll find when we get to the problems, what happened and how the Paul's preaching caused major problems in the culture and in the uh, economy of the city of Ephesus. And uh, we'll deal with all that later. But here he finds the first people he comes in contact with are not lost men. They're saved men. They're disciples of the Lord. They've already believed according to verse 2. But yet we also find in verse 3, they've never even heard of the Holy Ghost. They're yeah. They may be saved, but they're not very grand. They're, we see his preaching in the streets, but notice with me, if you would, uh, the inhabitants, the people that he preached to, uh, they're not very grand. They're not very, uh, they're not very um, well, mature, I guess you'd say. They're, they may be saved. They may be saved tonight, but they're not very mature. They've not grown. They've not matured their faith. Then notice in verse 2, notice his inquiry. The Bible said he said to the uh, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now that's an interesting statement in itself. 
Uh, the very first thing Paul asked them is this. He asked them if they received the Holy Ghost. Now that word sense has been taken out of context over the years to be preached to make a false doctrine. That is a proof text uh, for false doctrine in some way. There's a whole group of people, I don't have time to get too detailed into it, but there's a whole group of people that believe that there's two workings, or sometimes more, but it, multiple workings of the Holy Ghost. What they believe is, Chris, that when you got saved, you, they believe you were dwelt with the Holy Ghost. But they don't believe you got all the Holy Ghost you could get. What they believe is that as you grow and mature and as you sell out, as you do these things, there's a second working of the Holy Ghost. That's, it. That's the feeling of the Holy Ghost. You may be indwelt, but you've not been filled. And they explain that from this text oftentimes uh, as such things as speaking in tongues and uh, different things like that. It's a second work. That's not what Paul said. Paul does say, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? But he's not saying, have you received the Holy Ghost again? What he's saying is, when you believe, did you receive the Holy Ghost? Now, you and I understand that the book of Acts is a transitional book. All right? Things are different in the book of Acts than they are uh, in today's time. It's the beginning of the church. God in Acts chapter 2, uh, clove and tongues of fire fell upon them and they spoke in tongues. Now, I want to say this. It's interesting, not unknown tongues. All right? The Bible said every man heard his own tongue. What happened was Peter stood up and preached and more than likely stood up and preached in Greek or Hebrew. Uh, God, if you were Aramaic, you heard it in Aramaic. And if you, you see what I'm saying? It was a special word. <laughs> Now, that doesn't happen tonight because the book of Acts was a transitional book. I'm not saying God couldn't do that. Yeah. He chooses not to do that. Yeah. All right? So tonight, if we were to have uh, if we were to have a group of people that spoke Spanish, per se, come in and sit with us and join the church, you know what we'd have to do? We'd have to find an interpreter. Right. All right? Yeah. And I'd have to preach to you in English. And there'd be somebody over here. Uh, I've never had the opportunity to do it, but I'd love to do it sometime. They say it's awful, but it, it just sounds interesting. I'd have to preach to you and stop. And then somebody over here would speak to them in Spanish. But see, this is the infant stage of the church. God is building the church in Acts chapter 2. And so Kirk, that didn't happen. What he did, he gave a special ability for Peter to preach, and every man heard his own language. All right? And we'll see that through the book of Acts. God's doing things he'll he's never done before and he'll never do again. It's a transitional book. For example, uh, the Gospels are a transitional book. We're transitioning from the dispensation of law into the dispensation of grace. Is that right? That if you don't rightly divide the Gospels, you'll mess yourself up. Right, those things happen in the gospels that are never going to happen again either. And we'll, we may look at that later. I don't have time to get off and all that, but it's a transitional book. And so I said all that to say this: Paul had the ability. Paul was the apostle to the what? The Gentiles. Is that right? You'll find as he studied the life of Paul that part of his uh, part of his apostleship. In fact, in places, John, 
it was even using, using to prove he was an apostle. You and I know tonight that if we, when we got saved, immediately we were dwelt by the Holy Ghost. Am I right? Yeah. But we'll find in the book of Acts, not that they weren't indwelt with the Holy Ghost, but we'll find, John, that the laying on of Paul's hands stirred up what was in me. That makes sense? Oftentimes, we'll find here in the text, they were saved. I'm, I'm getting ahead of They were saved. They were disciples. They already believed. But the laying on of Paul's hands evidently stirred something up in me. And all of a sudden, the Bible said they began speaking tongues. The prophesied. It, he stirred it up in me. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Transitional book. So Paul asked them, that being a part of his ministry already, Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? Not saying if you received it again. Paul said, have you received it? His inquiry. Notice their ignorance in verse number two. Notice what the Bible said. Where's it at, dear? Verse number two, the Bible said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Isn't that sad? Saved men. Well, they said, we ain't never even heard nothing like that. Then we receive it, we didn't even know it existed. Is that right? Now you say, preacher, surely they're not saved. I, I don't mean this ugly when I say this at all. But I thought about this today. You'd be amazed. It is very, very possible for an individual to be saved and not understand and know the doctrine of salvation. May I ask you a question? How many of you, some of you may have, how many of you, the night or the day or the morning, whatever time it may be that you got saved, knew then that the Holy Ghost had indwelt you? I didn't. I didn't know that. How many of you knew the night you got the time you got saved that you were sealed by the Holy Ghost? I didn't. You know what I knew? I knew I was a sinner and deserved to go to hell. I didn't want to go. There, right? I didn't know I was in the well. I didn't know that I was sealed. I didn't know he's my comforter. I didn't know anything about peace that passed understanding. I didn't know that without the shedding of blood there is no remission. I didn't know that. I just knew he died for me. That's all I knew. I didn't know he had to. I didn't know why he did. Be honest, can I be honest with you? There's still a lot I can't wrap my mind around sometimes. That seems like older I get to this, I do understand that. But I did not understand those things. But it is a sad picture. It is a sad picture. It is very possible for an individual to be saved and not understand the doctrines of salvation, not understand everything that happened. Of course we know that. Now, we don't know how long they've been saved, but it is a sad statement for a man that's saved to say they've never even heard of the Holy Ghost. It's a sad statement. Watch this. i got to hurry. Notice this. Uh, now, we must make the distinction. These men were already disciples. The Bible doesn't say they had not been indwelt with the Holy Ghost. Nowhere does it say they didn't have the Holy Ghost. It simply says they were ignorant of the very existence of the Holy Ghost. Now, we've already said this seems almost unbelievable. It is possible and far more probable than we might like to think for an individual to truly be saved and know very little about the doctrine of salvation. I'd say you'd be amazed, honestly, tonight 
uh, it would amaze you to hear uh, some of the questions and conversations that pastors all over the country hear. Uh, I, I, when I say this, I don't mean this derogatory. I really, I hope there's an, I don't mean this derogatory at all. But it really is amazing sometimes how ignorant people are concerning Scripture. Now, I don't, ignorant does not mean stupid. Not what that means. It does not mean, ignorant does not mean, Noah, that they're not capable. Ignorant simply means they don't know. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Doesn't mean they can't comprehend it. These men, it doesn't say they couldn't understand it. They just never heard of it. Yeah. Right? right? Didn't say they didn't have it. They just never heard of it. Yeah. Oh my. That's one of my favorite things about being saved. I'll be the first to admit to you how ignorant I am. Every, it seems like Nancy, every week there's something I find out the Lord's done for me I didn't know. And I love it. I love to find out how much he loved me. I love to see something else, how much he, how he died for me. I love to find out something else that he did. I love to see how, how wicked and vile I really was and yeah. how righteous and holy he was. And oh, yeah. that's the shape that they're in. And it's not that they, don't, they can't understand. They're just ignorant of the fact of the Holy Ghost. They don't understand the doctrines of the Holy Ghost. Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we, we didn't even know anything about it. It's interesting how Paul responds to that in verse number three. Now I said, he said to them, under what then were you baptized? Now, is that not interesting? Imagine with me. Imagine you talking to your husband, your wife, your kids, your grand, whoever you want to imagine, co-worker. They told you they got saved. You said, well, did, did you receive the Holy Ghost? And they said, I've never even heard of it. Would you ask them about their baptism? I would. I'd say, you what? You mean you hadn't heard of the Holy Ghost? But Paul said, on the walk, then were you baptized? Now there must be some reason. Is that right? Must be something Paul knows we don't know. What's what your Bible says? Verse 3. On the walk, then were you baptized? And they said, on the John's baptism. They're going all the way back to John the Baptist. They're right. So all we know, we baptize on the John's baptism. Watch this, this is interesting. Apparently, these disciples in Acts 19 must have been saved under the ministry of Apollos. Now we've seen, verse number one, came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul had passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. It must have been saved under the ministry of apostles. I'll tell you why here in a minute. Before his doctrine was corrected by Aquila and Priscilla. Turn with me, if you would, over a page to Acts 18. Acts chapter 18. Verse number 24. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. What's this now? And a certain Jew named the <coughs> born in Alexandria, Watch out the scribes. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to where? Ephesus. Verse 25. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit. He spake and talked diligently the things of the Lord. Watch this now. Knowing only the baptism of who? John. Watch verse 27. <coughs> verse 26, I'm sorry. 
And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, watch this boy, I like this, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. What about that? Here's this man, the Bible said he was uh, instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in the spirit, spake and talked diligently. Uh, he, the Bible said that he was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. But the problem was, all he knew was the baptism of God. Is that right? All within a quill and Priscilla hear him in the synagogue and they pull him to the side, pull him into their self. And uh, they teach, the Bible said they, what's the Bible said, verse 26. And they expanded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Oh my, I'm thankful for some times in my life like that where some men and women pulled me to the side by myself and uh, expounded to me the way of God more perfectly, aren't you? I'm glad for some time somebody said, listen, you're, you're doing, I'd hear them now, Noah. I'd hear them say, oh, Paul, you're doing a good job. Boy, you're, you, you've got a fervent spirit. Boy, you're eloquent. Boy, you're, you're doing an awful good job preaching. But uh, I noticed when you was talking about baptism, all you were talking about, God, hit me. All you were talking about was baptism under repentance. And how did it, but can I tell you there's more to it than just say that? That's what John said. I know that's all you know, and that's all right, but... Can I tell you about one? What's the Bible say the Holy Ghost does? Doesn't it say he baptizes us into the body of Christ? And can, what if I didn't say, listen, John, baptize with water. How about this one that come after him? How about that say, look, whose shoes he wasn't worthy to unlatch? And when he baptized us, not just with water. Oh, yes, you ought to be baptized with water. That's an outward appearance. But when he baptizes you, he baptizes you with what the Holy Ghost and with fire. And they expounded unto him the more perfect way concerning the Lord. And so they corrected his doctrine. And evidently, here in chapter 19, these disciples had been saved. But I believe tonight they saved from the ministry of Apollos uh, in Ephesus uh, before Aquila and Priscilla had corrected him and explained him a more perfect way uh, and all they knew uh, was baptism of God. And I wonder if maybe Paul didn't know that. Is that right? They said they never heard the Holy Ghost. He said, how'd you get baptized? They said, well, we got baptized according to John's baptism. What's what your Bible said? Notice the ignorance in verse 2 and 3. They were ignorant of the fact that's all that they knew. Notice verse 4. Notice his instruction. Watch what your Bible said. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people they should believe on him which should come after him, that he is on Christ Jesus. Now, can I say this? If that's the doctrine they believed on, they'd have been saved. That right? What's what your Bible said? Verse number four. John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. You must repent or be saved. Right. That right? Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That right? If they did that, if they repented of their sins, believed on the one that should come after God, they'd been saved. That right? Notice this, Paul said, that is on Christ Jesus. Notice the instructions. Paul did not leave them in their ignorance, but rather instructed them uh, that the one which John had looked for had already come. It's safe to assume tonight that everything Paul told them is not recorded. 
Would you agree with that? <coughs> it's safe. Now, it may be. I don't know, but it's it's in my mind, boy. I'd say Paul probably told them more than what we've got. I'd say he probably preached to them a little bit more than what we see. But we have enough here in our text to be able to tell John that he, he instructed them of the one which come after John. Is that right? I believe he probably informed that Paul's some of his greatest writings was concerning the Holy Ghost. I mean, can you imagine the Apostle Paul being the one to teach you the doctrines of the Holy Ghost that how that he dwells you, how that he comforts you, how that he keeps you, how that he preserves you, how that he uh, satisfies you, all these things that I'd say probably said more than what's recorded, but we have enough to know Paul instructs them concerning the doctrines of Christ. Now, uh, the reason we believe that is notice in verse number five, that immediately they knew they need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. No questions are asked, evidently. Oh, boy, can, can I say this? And I don't mean any disrespect back. I, I'd love to pastor them twelve. Right. They may be ignorant. They may not know everything there is to know. They might be ignorant about some things. But when the man of God showed them what needed to be done, they just done it. No questions asked. Yeah. Boy, you're dying on me, ain't you? <laughs> Kitty, they may be ignorant. They might not know about it. They, they may not have their doctrine in theology. But when Paul instructed them to serve the things of God, they just ready to follow what he said. They ready to do what the Bible said to them. Boy, I get that. We're missing that these days. We're living in a day where man is so worried about his image and so worried about what everybody else thinks. We'll sit on a pew and not get things right with these men. When they found out things wrong, they fixed the problem. Isn't that right? When the man of God instructed them, they followed the instructions of the Word of God. And immediately they knew they needed to follow the Lord and believe in baptism. So we see the instruction. Watch this. I, I'm hurting. I'll be done. Just a minute. Notice verse 5. Notice the immersion. Watch what your Bible said. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Immediately, they said, that John's baptism in the night. They're right. Immediately, I said, when they heard this, they were baptized in, in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's no shame in not being ignorant, but when you're informed of the truth, there should be a response. We see that these disciples, as soon as they were formed in the light of the truth, they follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Now, there's some question tonight, uh, even among commentators, there's some question posed as to whether these individuals were saved before their baptism, and the answer is most definitely yes. There's a crowd that takes verse 5 and says they were baptized before they were saved. That's not right. Verse 1 taught them disciples. Verse 2 tells us they'd already believed. They were already saved. They were baptized after saved. Uh, we believe that uh, as Baptists, of course. That is one of the distinctives that uh, you must first be saved before you can be baptized. You're baptized before you're saved, you're just a wet sinner. Isn't that right? right. Notice this. Um, but the answer is most definitely yes. I told you they were called disciples. Verse 1 told they already believed. Verse 2. They are now simply testifying by baptism of their faith, which they'd already placed in Christ. If we get to look at church history, well, if we, if we do that, I don't know yet if we will or not, but if we look at church history before we get to Revelation 4, there'll be a term that'll come up. And when you study Baptist history, John, we trace our lineage all the way back to Christ. 
And then the then the apostles, <coughs> so on and so forth. But we were not always called Baptists. There was a term that come forth uh, early on in church history. They called them Anabaptists. The reason they used that term was this. There was a group that was so staunch in their beliefs concerning baptism that say that, John, you were a Catholic and you had been baptized as a child, as an infant. Infant baptism. More people have died through history over infant baptism than just about anything else. Right. Say you were baptized as an infant. On up in years, you got saved. You come to the Anabaptists. Several names that are called, but lumped together as the term Anabaptist. You come to the Anabaptists, got saved. What they would tell you is this, that your baptism as an infant meant nothing. Now that you were saved, you must be baptized again following the Lord and believer's baptism. So they got coined the name Anabaptist, which means another baptism. How they were called that. And as time has went on, they died, they bled, they died, they were tortured, they were burnt stake, all because not all because, but for the biggest part, because they would not buy an infant Baptist. And now, what we're, we refer as Baptist, which I about, I shouldn't get off on this, but you seem interested, so I'll tell you. <coughs> so many churches tonight, it seems like taking Baptist off their sign. And to me, I think it's such a shame that our forefathers bled and died and gave their life for us to believe what we believe and for us to be ashamed of it. Take it off can I say this? He did, they did not baptize them before they got saved. They were saved. Verse 22, they were saved. But now they understood the doctrine. They were baptized again, signifying it was not only John's baptism. The Bible said they were baptized in the name of Christ. They're baptized again. All right, so we see their immersion. They were baptized again. Follow the Lord. In believers baptism. I may have preached a little bit on church history. Y'all seem to be interested in that. Uh, they were simply testifying baptism by baptism of their faith, which had already placed in Christ. Now, notice verse 6 and 7. I'll, I'll try to hurry. There's a lot I could say, but I may not say a whole lot. Baptism when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. Now, it's amazing to me. We'll we'll deal with it in a second. What you're wondering about laid on of hands, speaking in tongues, prophesying. We'll, we'll deal with that briefly here in a minute. But it's amazing to me. Despite all that, would you agree with me? In verse 6, there is an overwhelming show by the Holy Ghost. Would you agree with that? Paul lays his hands on, they speak in tongues. Prophesy overwhelming show by the Holy Ghost. Would you agree with that? It's amazing to me what is it, verse 3, verse 2? They didn't even know there was such a thing. that amazing? One Paul that spoke in tongues, one Paul that prophesied, it's those disciples. The Holy Ghost is now working through them. Isn't that right? Verse 2, they didn't even know there was such a thing. That's amazing. Amazing. All right, notice, put me if you would quickly. I've heard it. Notice the inspiration. Um, now they're operating as power. 
What a lesson. Now, I won't stop saying this practical, I know. But what a lesson. Now, our preaching not only should bring sinners to the place of repentance, though that is important. I'm not saying you shouldn't preach the lost. Absolutely, you should preach the lost. But Paul here is not dealing with lost men. It was saved men. But after they sat under his preaching, notice this, they were, they were uh, immature in their faith. They weren't grounded in their faith. Didn't even know, had never heard of the Holy Ghost. Not only should it bring sinners to repentance, but also should bring forth spiritual growth to the saints. Is that right? That's as important, no, that is as important a part of preaching as seeing sinners saved is seeing the saint grow spiritually. All right. Now these men in verse 2 never even heard the Holy Ghost. What are what kind of effective witness they're going to be? All right. They're operating in their own flesh, not relying on the Holy Ghost. Probably not going to be a very effective witness. But Paul preaches to them just a few verses. Now they're operating in the power of the Holy Ghost. There's none telling. They might just turn this city plumb upside down. Can I give you a hint? That's what happens. Is that right? Ephesus is going to be turned plumb upside down before we get done. God is going to do a miraculous thing in the city of Ephesus. Now, a lot of it, I believe, no, is based on the fact that Paul took the time to preach to the church and see a spiritual growth. Is that right? Now listen, we'll give, give you a practical example. This morning, I'm going to be honest. Two people raised their hand this morning. They've lost. Two people. I had the opportunity this morning to preach to two people that I know of. That was, and they could be more absolute, but two people that I know of here this morning that admitted they were lost that I preached to this morning. But tonight, it's Sunday night, Wednesday night, a lot of times, and I, I, I get, so I don't always do, but a lot of times I like to preach on Wednesday night, Sunday night, more to the church. More spiritual growth in the church. You know why I do that? Because I know that Sunday morning I preached to two people that was lost. But there is none telling how many people all of us put together will come in contact with Monday and Tuesday before I get to preach behind the pulpit on Wednesday. Is that right? So if I can, if I can through the word, not in my power, but through the word of God, if I can produce spiritual growth in you, Kirk, that makes you a more effective witness. Right. Yeah. And that's somebody tomorrow that you may be able to witness to that I've never met. Right. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Nancy, you may see somebody Tuesday that I've never laid eyes on. Is that right? right? So we see in this first episode of preaching that Paul did that there he lays an importance not only on seeing, saint, on seeing sinners saved, but he lays an importance on seeing saints progress and mature in their faith and spiritually. So we see that here. Notice this, I heard. Um, there's much controversy uh, over verse 6 as far as the laying on Paul's hands, speaking with tongues, and prophesying. I told you a while ago, we must remember to go back to the transition book, which reveals to us the church in its infant stage. God is doing things in the book of Acts he's never done before. He'll never do again to establish the church in its infancy. We'll find as we go through that these miracles of Paul major major milestone in Paul's ministry. God used his miracles mightily. In fact, if you hadn't read it yet, you'll find as you go through uh, where it is. Verse 11. Let's read it quickly. 
Verse 11, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, you've heard me before preach against these uh, prayer cloths, these TV evangelists, they send me your money, and I'll send you a handkerchief that I've wiped my sweater. That's a, that's a bunch of hogwash. But in the book of Acts, God is establishing the church. He's allowing Paul to do things that are not done today. You with me? So to, 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 to grow the church rapidly, Paul could literally take a piece of cloth and that had been on his body and they could bring it to one. The Bible said in verse number uh, 12, so from his body were brought in the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them. You see that? God wrought great miracles. Watch verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, the exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit asked, and listen, this is so, it's so miraculous that these, these exorcists decide they're going to have to step up their game or, or they're going to lose business. They've got to show their path. So they call them evil spirits. The Bible said, and the evil, verse 15, the evil spirit answered and said, listen to this, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? What about that? The evil spirit. There, right? said, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but I don't know you. And the man whom the evil spirit was, in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them, overcame them, prevailed against them, so if they fled out of that house, naked and wounded. Watch verse 17. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also to Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Watch verse 19. I, I love it. Many of them also, which used curious hearts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They killed the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. You talk about the city being burned upside down. They're bringing their books and burning. And the Bible said they came the price of it is 50,000 pieces of silver books that were burned. These curious, this black magic, if you will. They're right. Well, you see some insights in this. It's what Paul's dealing with. It was wicked and vile. Exorcist and black magic. And uh, Paul comes in and preaching it. Uh, even the exorcists try to mimic what he does. And uh, they're overtaken by the demons, the evil spirits. And uh, right out of the city. And God magnifies it. what the Bible says. Verse number 20. So mightily through the word of God and prevail. God used Paul's miracles greatly. He's growing the church. All these things are not done tonight. But I want you to understand something. Paul in the book of Acts did not have, at this time Paul did not have the full canon of scripture. That which was perfect had not yet come. You with me? He didn't have the whole Bible for can I say something tonight? Don't fall out with me. Some of you looking at me like that was the good old days. What we've got tonight is far greater than what Paul did. Yeah. What I hold in my hand tonight is far greater than what Paul did in the book of Exodus. But God took those miracles. Oh, the laying on of hands. Remember, uh, the first Timothy, where Paul said that uh, he put him in remembrance to stir up that which was in him, the gift that was in him by the laying on of Paul's hands. I told you, man, Paul had the ability by the laying on of his hands to stir up what was already in the man. But 
That was a gift God had given him. Then, the Bible said they, he laid on his hands, and the Bible said, verse 6, the Holy Ghost came on them, not came in them, came on them. There's a difference. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Listen, I pick on the Lord. I'm not, being, I'm not being mean when I say this. Don't fall out with me. I thought it was going to happen on one of these teachers. Now, by his testimony, I believe no one will be saved. By his testimony, I believe that. You get up this morning, this tonight, and preach and dwell with the Holy Ghost and it not be effective. Is that right? Are you with me? Yeah. Don't, don't fall. You be and dwell with the Holy Ghost. And it not be faith. I don't believe we like that. Ain't you never heard nobody preach? That you believe with all your heart was saved? They called to preach. But it be dead as a hammer. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That you? I have. Yeah. Oh my, but I've also been there. They I, they were already in the God, maybe, maybe I'm partial to it because I've experienced it from other end. But I almost watch a man preach and see the moment that the Holy Ghost not only is in him, but is on him. I'd almost see it. I'd almost see all the change in his demeanor. I'd almost see the change in the authority. I'd almost, I'm, not talking about, I'm not even talking about mannerisms. I'm not talking about hacking. If he hacks, that's great. If he runs, that's great. If he shouts, that's great. If he sweats, that's great. But I've seen men get up and never take their coat off and never break a sweat, never raise their voice hardly above a whisper, but all of a sudden the Holy Ghost come on. And there is a difference. Is that right? Didn't say the Holy Ghost went in, but the Holy Ghost came on. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Things picked up, and when he did, uh, they did unbelievable things. What's what your Bible said? And the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues. They didn't say unknown tongues. Yeah. Did it? <laughs> so they spake with tongues. Watch this. And prophesied. Now you and I, listen, we... But we have to take this mystical. What it revolves is this. What it revolves is this. You know why men like the idea of speaking in tongues and prophesying? Because they like the idea of there being stages of spirituality. What I mean by that is this. In our flesh, we like to be able to say, well, I prophesied this morning at church, so I'm more spiritual than Nancy. Let's just be honest. We do. Book of Acts, they probably, there's no need of prophecy. The full can't, we have the full can of scripture. Prophecy is already here. That which is perfect has come. We don't need anybody to prophesy. There is no new revelation. We've got everything God wanted us to have. You with me? We don't need any prophecy. And we certainly, those that believe in speaking in tongues, they, they like to leave out that one little verse over there, and I believe, is it, is, it, is it 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, where it says, and where there be tongues, they will cease. Is that right? They like to leave that part out. There's a lot of things God did for Max he's never done again. What I'm saying is this. What? I'm going to tell you what. He said, that sounds amazing. Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. But can I show you something? That is nothing, nothing compared to what God does for the believer tonight. You know what happens when a man gets up to preach? It's not Paul lays his hands 
It's the Lord. The Lord puts his hand on you. And the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Is that right? And he's not speaking in tongues. Not speaking in unknown tongues. But in some ways he is. What he's doing, he's speaking the very word of God. Is that right? And it may not be prophesying like we like to think. Oh, but it is prophesying. He's speaking the mind and the will and the word of God under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God. What happens tonight is far greater than what happened later. Yeah. We like to get hung up on all that. This is a transitional book. Things happen that will never happen again. What I want you to see is this. I'm going to Reading and not the Paul's preaching to Ephesus. First person, first group he came to, group of believers, group of disciples who were immature, not grown very much spiritually. Paul preached to them. There was spiritual growth. They understood the doctrines of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came on them and they did unbelievable things. Now, next week, probably Wednesday night, we'll pick up in verse 8. Paul will not be preaching in the street. But next time, we'll see him go to one of his favorite places. Everywhere Paul went, if he could, he'd go to the synagogue. Next Wednesday night, we'll see him preaching in the synagogue. And eventually, that's going to run dry. And they're going to run him out. We'll see him preaching in the school of Tyrannus. Then eventually, that's going to run out. And we'll see him preaching through the use of the supernatural, those miracles. Then we've already said tonight, after that, we'll see, it, we'll see those We'll see that those faith miracles start to come up. Those are not imitated. At the end of that, we're going to run out of Paul's preaching. It's going to be his preaching that answers all that the Holy Ghost gives us insight to. Then we're going to start seeing the problem with our lives. Paul's going to come in. It starts out with 12 men. By the time we get to verse 20, Paul's going to have the whole city. Not just the whole city, all the region, in fact, is going to be flipped plumb upside down. And the devil in his crowd never laughed. We'll see that over the next few weeks. All right? Stand to our feet. If musicians, they will come get a song of invitation.